right, as preschoolers are making their way out, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts 28. Next week, we're going to begin a, a short Easter-ish series. Um, we're going to be focusing on the life of Jesus, and we're going to be doing it by looking at four or five, I guess it'll be five, counting Good Friday, five questions that Jesus asked. Jesus asked a lot of questions in his, in his life and he, uh, that we have recorded in the Gospels. He was asked a lot of questions, and so we're going to take a few of those questions to help highlight something about the character and mission of Jesus. So we're going to be doing that starting next week, and it will go all the way through Easter. After after that, the plan tentatively is to do a six or eight week series on gospel culture. So I'm um, really excited about that series that will begin after Easter, but heading up into Easter, we're going to be spending our time focusing on the person and work of Jesus, and we're going to be doing it by focusing on five different questions. We'll be sending those out to you pretty soon. But today, we have business to take care of. We have to finish the book of Acts, Acts 28. Now, I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you now, I'm not going to be touching very much on verses 1 through 10. I've gotten better at this, all right? I, this, this is a skill you have to learn as a preacher. You can't say everything that you want to say, and not everything you want to say needs to be said. And we could be here for two hours, and I could probably work in uh, the first 10 verses here. But it's, it's interesting, Paul, he's on Malta, this island. Um, a couple really interesting things happen here, but there wasn't anything new thematically that I thought it was really important to... Uh, uh, convey. So we're going to leave it there. Uh, it's interesting to read. I would encourage you to go back and read it. But we're mainly going to be starting in verse 11 of chapter 28 and going all the way to the end of the book. And here we are at the end of Acts. Now, for me anyway, there is not much worse in life than a great story with a bad ending. Anybody else like with me on that? A really good story, whether it's a book or a TV series or a movie, and you've got this great story and you are just fully invested, especially a TV series with multiple episodes. And even when you binge them, there's only so much you can binge at one time. You know, you have to, you, you invest time, like hours and hours in a, in a story. And there's nothing worse than when you get to the end of it, they just, they can't wrap it up. You know, they just can't tie up the loose ends. There's just, there's, there's something missing. It's just a bad ending to a great story. There's nothing worse. And, and I hate investing in something that will only disappoint me in the end. Kind of like Kentucky's basketball season this year. I told Topher right there, I said, I know this sounds really dramatic and maybe a little pathetic, but when I, when I heard that they lost, I actually felt shock. Like that, like, what, what do I do? What, what do we do? Like, am I, do I eat tomorrow? Like, what's, what's going on? This never happens. Kentucky doesn't lose to 15 seeds in the NCAA tournament. What, what is going on? That is a great example of a good story with a terrible ending. We were invested in it. And I don't have to tell you guys anything. State, Ole Miss fans, you all know all about that, right? Um, so, sorry. I'm, I, told, I told someone else, I was like, I'm also hate watching. The whole sermon's not going to be about the NCAA tournament, I promise. But I, I am going to probably hate watch the rest of the tournament where I'm like, all right, who do I want to lose now? 
now. Duke, I'm going to cheer, whoever they're playing, I'm, I want them to lose. Tennessee, I'm sorry. I was like, come on, lose, you know. So that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm bitter when it comes to my basketball watching at this point. But good stories demand good endings. Well, here we are at the end of this wonderful story of the early church as told by Dr. Luke. And Luke has taken us on this wild adventure from the moment of Jesus' ascension into heaven in Acts 1 to the church's birth at Pentecost in Acts 2 to the miraculous healings and powerful gospel presentations in Acts 3 through 5. If you remember the boldness of Stephen in, in Acts 6 through 7, and then he, he takes us to the advance of the gospel to the Gentiles, and we saw that unfold in Acts 8 through 11, and then we saw the severe persecution of the church in Acts 12, and then we're introduced to the ministry of Paul, and, and Paul takes the gospel to the Gentile regions in Acts 13 and 14. And then he shows us that the church had to have a council, and in Acts 15, they... they clarify Gentile inclusion into the people of God. Then he takes us to the multifaceted conversions among the Greeks in Acts 16 and 17. And then, then he takes us to this increasing opposition to Paul's ministry from the Jews in all these different regions in Acts 18 and 19. And he takes us to Paul's journey toward Jerusalem in Acts 20 and 21. And then obviously we've been in this the last month or so, the persecution, the arrest, and the trials of Paul in Acts 22 through 26. And then last week, he took us all the way up to this treacherous voyage that Paul was on, the shipwreck, as he's making his way to Rome in Acts 27. And now here we are at the end, and Paul is making his way into Rome in Acts 28. Now along the way, Luke has highlighted the stories of prominent church leaders like Peter and John. I, I almost forgot about Peter and John. That was so long ago. You remember Peter and John? They were a big part of the book of Acts uh, early on. But you have Peter and John, and then you have James, and you have Paul, these prominent church leaders that he focuses on. And then he focuses on these, these gifted Christians like Barnabas and Silas, Timothy and Apollos. And then he gives a lot of attention to uh, the remarkable faithfulness of, of more ordinary Christians. You remember Stephen and Philip, Lydia, Tabitha, Priscilla, and Aquila. We, we've seen the conversions of the most unlikely candidates. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion? Well, that was strange, but what about the Philippian jailer? And then Cornelius. The gospel is making inroads in all of these different people's lives. And then we've seen all these miraculous healings. Oh, and, and even, we didn't really touch on it too much, but you remember the resurrection of poor Eutychus? Poor Eutychus fell asleep because Paul's sermon went too long and he died and had to be raised from the dead. You remember this? Luke has taken us on this adventure. But lurking beneath the surface of all of these people and all of their stories was Luke's guiding hand. You see, he's written the early church's history in such a way as to show us how Jesus' final words before his ascension to that small band of scared disciples in Jerusalem had finally reached their fulfillment. Remember what he said in Acts 1-8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, here we are in, in Acts 28. And what we can do is we can actually look back across the pages of this wonderful story and say, yes, 
They did receive power from the Holy Spirit. And yes, they did witness about Jesus in Jerusalem through the ministries of Peter and John, in Judea and Samaria through the preaching of Philip and others. And then now to the ends of the earth as Paul meets fellow Christians as he lands in Italy. We're going to see in verses 11 through 16. So in one sense, Acts has this perfect ending to a great story with the most important loose end being tied up. However, and I'm not hating on Luke, however, the natural reading of Acts 28 does leave us wondering why Luke's conclusion was so abrupt. When you, actually, let's just do it, okay? You ready? I want to take you, I want to take you to verses 30 and 31. So I'll give you a little bit of context. So these are the last, the last two verses of, of Acts. Um, Paul has, has arrived in, in Italy, and now he's made his way into Rome. He has met some Christians who were there. We're going to talk about the significance of that in a minute. Um, but he wanted to talk to the Jews. And, of course, the history of Paul talking to Jews, especially Jewish leaders, in any city that he went to, it never went well. He was always beaten. He was arrested. He was persecuted. They didn't want him around. It's a little bit different here. He tells these Jewish leaders his whole story. He's like, hey, here's what I was accused of. I'm completely innocent. And they are actually really curious. They're like, we don't really, actually, we've never heard of you. We don't really know anything about this. Um, so can you fill us in on this, this new sect that has arisen? Um, you know, that earlier, the other Jews, they called it the sect of the Nazarene. Um, so, like, what, what's, what is that all about? We've heard about it, but we don't really know much about it. And then Paul, um, he takes them through the gospel. And he shares the gospel with them. And then we, we learn that some of them believed and some of them didn't. And then Paul, he pronounces judgment on them by quoting from Isaiah 6, much in the same way that Jesus did throughout his ministry. And he says in verse 28, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. But now, here's how the book wraps up. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Hmm. Doesn't it just kind of feel like there's more to be said? We have been, I don't want to get into it too soon, but we have been really invested in the trials of Paul, have we not? (laughs) I mean, two Roman governors, um, all these details that Luke really wants us to see. You're talking from Acts 21 to Acts 27. You have information about the trials. And the whole point of the whole thing was that Paul was going to be in Rome to stand trial before Caesar. You know what I've been waiting to see? What's that going to be like? Paul standing before the most powerful person in the entire world to get to tell him about Jesus? I can't wait to see that. And Luke's like, yeah, and then he kind of stayed there two whole years. He told other people about Jesus and, you know, he had a lot of boldness. The end. It feels, it feels abrupt. Um, So while on the one hand, Luke wraps up his account really nicely by showing us that the gospel has advanced just the way Jesus commanded and promised, there is another sense in which this ending is rather strange. 
But I don't believe that this is evidence that Luke is a poor storyteller or that he ran out of paper or he got bored or, you know, he just didn't have any more information. He's like, that's all I got. I don't know what else happened. That's why I didn't write it down. I I, I don't believe any of that. The ending of Acts sends us one final and crucial message. One final message. Acts seems and feels unfinished because the story of the church is unfinished. There was more that was going on. There was more to come. There was more that was happening, even at the time of Luke's writing. And that's the point. The work and the witness continue. The Spirit continues to work. Jesus continues to transform lives. And the Father continues to welcome people from all walks of life into the kingdom. That doesn't stop at the end of the book of Acts. The church continues to grow and spread. Now, I want you to see that the work that began on the pages of Acts continues through us. That's what I want to show you this morning. One one major point. The work that began on the pages of Acts continues through us. And then I want you to see why the church's story is unfinished, how that story continues, and what our role in the story is. So I want you, first of all, just to see it's unfinished. The story is unfinished. It is still being written, and you and I are a part of it. We're going to think about why that is, how the story continues, and what our role in the story is. All right. I want you to actually back up to Acts chapter 1. Can you do that? Can you flip to Acts chapter 1? In in Acts 1, um, Luke... He opens, he opens this, this book in, in much the same way that he did his gospel. So if you're not familiar, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And they're meant to be read together. Um, Acts sort of functions as, as sort of a sequel to, to Luke. And the opening words of the book of Acts read like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, he's obviously referencing his gospel in which he tells the story of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. Now, in this sequel, Luke is essentially saying here, I'm seeking to share all that Jesus continued to do in and through his people, the church. And so, what we can say is, at the end of Acts, Luke could have added a phrase To say something like, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach through his church. It's the beginning. The end of Acts is merely the end of the beginning. The church's story is unfinished. Paul realizes this first. Go back to Acts 28. Go back to Acts 28. Paul sees this first. When he arrived in Italy... 
Um, he, he's, in this, he's in this port city um, that's right outside of modern-day Naples, Italy. He's in this port city, and that's, that's where they land. They, they set sail from Malta, and they end up in this, in this city that's right outside uh, modern-day Naples. Um, and, and he's met with this joyful surprise, or at least it comes across that way. And here's how Luke tells the story in verse 14. In verse 14 of Acts 28, he says, There we found brothers, and you know, translations could be brothers and sisters. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Now, what's, what's interesting there? If you've really been tracking through the book of Acts, especially since chapter 21, What's interesting there is that the whole time, if you just took the book of Acts in a vacuum, you just, and you didn't, you didn't really consider anything else, no other traditions, no other writings of Paul in the New Testament, you just had the story by itself and no other information. Within the story, it seems like the reason that God is sending Paul to Rome and the reason that he is so passionate about getting to Rome is because the gospel has not yet advanced there. And that's why he needs to go. And even if it's as a prisoner, he needs to get to Rome so that he can share the gospel. Isn't it so interesting that when Paul lands, he's greeted by Christians? The gospel's already there. It beat him. The gospel beat Paul to Italy, to, to Rome. Um, this is a wonderful reminder for Paul, and this is a wonderful reminder for us that the advance of the gospel does not depend on any one person or groups of people or gifted individuals. It, it doesn't. The, the witness of the church goes forward even when we don't see it ourselves. Paul meets these Italian Christians and his heart is immediately flooded with gratitude and courage and encouragement because the gospel will continue to advance even after Paul is gone. So Paul, he, he ends up going to share the gospel with Jewish leaders in Rome. So, so follow with me in verse 17. In verse 17, uh, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had not done, uh, th though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And here's, here's how he shares the gospel with them. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Um, the gospel continued to advance further into Rome. Not only 
through the witness of whoever first took the gospel to, to Rome, but now as Paul is here, he continues to do the work. He continues to share the good news about Jesus, and the gospel continues to spread in and through the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel has also continued to advance and spread since Luke closed the book on Acts. And even if you are blind to history, if you are a Christian in this room today, you are living and breathing evidence that the church's story is still being written. Every week that we exist as a church, we continue the work that Jesus began in his people as we witness to him with our words and our lives. The church's story is unfinished. Why? And maybe, maybe that, that's a, a striking question. What do you mean, why? Why is the church's story unfinished? Because we're here. What do you mean? No, but why? Why, why has, has the gospel continued to pass down from generation to generation? 2,000 years later, we are proclaiming the same news that Paul was proclaiming to these Jews in, in Rome, in Acts 28. Why? I ask this because it's important to realize that the story could have ended right here. You know that? It could have ended right there. The Lord could have said, by the ends of the earth, I mean Rome, and no further. This is what I have in mind. These are my people. I've set them apart. I've chosen to save them. These are my people. The mission is complete. And the rest of us remain dead in our sins, guilty before God, and he is under no obligation to save any one of us. God is sovereign. And we love to, to talk about his sovereignty when it comes to times when we need comfort or we need, when life feels like it's out of control, we need this doctrine so that we can be comforted by God's in control. My life is not. But God is sovereign, which means that he is in the heavens, Psalm 115.3, and he does all that he pleases. He has every right. He is, he is the Lord. He is the king of the cosmos. And he is holy. And he is just in his character and in his actions. No one deserves to be a part of his people. No one. And he is free to save whom he chooses to save. And God was under no outside obligation to save any of us. And we have all gone astray. And we have all sinned against him. The guilt lies with us. And even still, when Jesus came to die for the forgiveness of sins, it could have been God's plan to save the physical descendants of Abraham, Israel, alone. He was under no outside obligation to include the Gentiles in his work of salvation, but he did. And the gospel spread, and it continued to spread, and the, and the, and the story feels unfinished because it is. Why? Why? Because of God's heart. Because of his heart. The fact that we exist as a church today, the fact that we can go this week and tell the story of Jesus to someone and they might believe it and be convinced and be brought into our fellowship, the fact that that is a possibility, a real possibility for you this week is due to the fact 
that while God is full of sovereignty and holiness and righteousness, his heart is also full of love and mercy and grace. His desire is that not one would perish. His heart is for the salvation of people from every tribe and every tongue. And he sent his son to die for sinners like you and me. And his heart beats for those who have turned from him and for those who are far from him. So so the witness and the mission of the church continues. The story is unfinished because there are still those who have yet to be brought into the kingdom of God. And God loves them. And he wants them. And he is sending us to them. That's why the story is unfinished, because of God's heart. Now, how does the story continue? How? What are the means by which the the story continues? It's the same as in the book of Acts. Two things. The power of the Spirit and the witness of the church. The power of the Spirit. The Spirit has come. That's not just a story, guys. When the Spirit descended at Pentecost, every time a person believed in Jesus, it was the Spirit who was drawing them to Jesus. The Spirit indwelled every single believer in the book of Acts. The Spirit indwells every single believer in this room. We have the Spirit. The Spirit has come. We learned that in Acts 2. And the Spirit is still in the business of drawing people to Jesus, wooing people's hearts, softening their hearts so that they would receive the gospel message that they hear. He is sovereignly and mysteriously working to draw people to the Son. And he still does that. And he's still empowering us to take the gospel to those who have yet to believe. So how will the story continue? Through the power of the Spirit. We're not having to come up with all of these clever strategies to try to get people to believe in Jesus. No, we have the Spirit and he is working. But also, the story of the church continues through the witness of the church. The mission that began in the book of Acts continues through us. We say it often, we exist to make disciples of Jesus who love God and others. That's why we exist, to make disciples. We live lives that showcase the character of Jesus. And we seek to do, as Paul does throughout Acts, and especially here in Acts 28, to open the scriptures or to appeal to reason, as we saw in Acts 26, in order to convince others that they need Jesus and that Jesus has come and he is a sufficient Savior. So the story continues through the power of the Spirit, through the witness of the church. That's why it's so important for us to gather every single week and proclaim this good news. That's why it's so important for us to be faithful to one another. It's why it's so important for us to see how we can leverage every opportunity in our lives for Jesus, to tell others about him, to make relationships with people so that they may come to faith in Jesus. It's through the witness of the church, the story of the church continues. Now, this is where, this is where um, we have to consider our role. What will be required of us to keep the story going? And in one sense, I hesitate to talk about it like that because it's not really up to us on the one hand. The the Lord, our, our disobedience will not stop the gospel from going forward. 
okay? If we stub up and we decide that we're not going to get on board with the mission of God in sending, sending the gospel to the nations or, or uh, you know, investing in our neighbors and building relationships and, and telling them about Jesus, if we decide we're just not going to do that, we're, we're too uncomfortable with it, it's not going to stop the Lord from reaching his children. He will reach them. He just won't use us because we've stubbed up and we've said, no, thank you. We're kicking against the goads. Um, But there's a clue at the end of Acts in one other strange way that this book ends that helps us see how we can step into the ongoing story of the church. What is required of us? What must we do on our end of things to keep the story going? And the clue is, is the strange anticlimactic way Paul's story ends. Isn't it so anticlimactic, Paul? Here's how it ends. We read it earlier. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, from a purely literary perspective, Paul's story should have ended in Acts 27. That was awesome, right? You got this, you got this storm that's raging, and you have Paul, everybody else on board is freaking out at first, and then there's like, I guess it's the time to die. You know, they all give up, they abandon all hope. And here you have Paul right in the middle of it, convincing others to believe the promise of God, and he has hope. What, and then like the shipwreck and how, how you know, harrowing that is, and he's brought safely to shore. That's how a heroic figure like Paul, that's how the story should end, just like that. That's not how it ended. It ends with Paul with, you know, a group of people around him sharing the gospel in a rented home under house arrest. I mean, my goodness, the last image that we have of Paul is him with an ankle monitor on. I mean, I mean, seriously, think, think about it. The, the, the brother is on house, he's in house arrest as a soldier, you know, hanging out out there. He had some freedom. He could have friends over. He was allowed to share the gospel and all that stuff. It was cool. But that's the last image of Paul, the apostle. His beginning was so glorious, right? This violent persecutor of the church. And then the, the you know, on the road to Damascus, this light from heaven. It's so dramatic. And then it just kind of fizzles out here, it feels like anyway. Um... The ending to Paul's story shows us three things that are required of us to step into the ongoing story of the church. Three things. The way the story ends, this anticlimactic ending, shows us three things that are required of us to step into the ongoing story of the church. Three things. First, we need a Christ-centered perspective. Second, we need ordinary faithfulness. And third, we need immediate action. Okay, first, a Christ-centered perspective. So Luke's story of Paul's life feels anticlimactic in the end, and there's a reason for that. The problem is not with Luke. The problem is with us and the way we read the story. We read the story thinking that the story is about Paul. And if the story is about Paul, it's very disappointing, that ending. Um, It's like, yeah, Paul sitting there just, you know, under arrest, tells other people about Jesus. Like, yeah, I know, you told us that on every page in this book. I mean, what what else is there? What else happened to Paul? What else? And and by the way, this isn't the end of Paul's life. 
uh, church, church history, the, the tradition is that Paul actually was f- set free and then he was arrested again and that's whenever he was, he was martyred at that point. But, uh, so this isn't the end of Paul's life. But if you think the story's about Paul, this is a lame ending. But did you ever consider the story's not about Paul? The story is not about him. The story is about Jesus. And, and the story ends just as it began with the kingdom of God being proclaimed to anyone and everyone with ears to hear. So if we want to continue this story of the church, we have to keep Jesus at the center of our lives. Never forget that your life is not ultimately about you. Not ultimately. It's not ultimately about you. We have to, especially in this day and age, resist the urge to be noticed by others. Resist the urge to be impressive before others. It's, I, it, I believe it's, it's almost a, a social epidemic that the need that we feel right now to be noticed and impressive to other people. Because then we feel like we'll finally matter. It's self-justification. We justify our existence as human beings by how popular we are or how well-known we are or, or you know, uh, uh, how impressive we are to others. But we need to remember that we cannot serve two masters. If you are the center of your world, Jesus won't be. He won't be. If you are the center, if the story of your life is mainly about you, it will not be mainly about Jesus. Paul understood this, which is why if if he looked at the end of his story in Acts 28, he'd probably say, you got a little too much Paul in there, Even, even though there's not that much. The story is not about Paul, it's about Jesus. And so we need to follow this example to continue the story of the church. We need a Christ-centered perspective. But we also need ordinary faithfulness. Now, Paul was an apostle. And this is where we, we always misunderstand Paul. We always misunderstand him. And, and it makes sense. He was an apostle. He's different from us. We're not apostles. If any of you think you're an apostle, let's please, just meet me in my office later. We'll, we'll talk about it while you're not. Um, but... Uh, we're not. You're not going to be. You can't aspire to that office. Sorry. Um, you weren't alive then. Um, it's, it, does, it doesn't work that way. Paul was extraordinarily gifted. Probably more gifted than you. <laughs> Definitely more gifted than me. Paul was crazy gifted by the Lord. Paul received specific visions and dreams from, from the Lord. Paul was probably a genius. I mean, in all honesty, when you read his arguments in his letters, he, was, he probably was a genius. And he is definitely responsible for the bulk of what we believe about Jesus. I mean, do you understand that? The bulk of what you believe about the cross of Jesus is due to Paul and what he writes in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and all the New Testament letters that we have. Yet none of those gifts would help Paul finish his race with Jesus well. It was his ordinary faithfulness to the Lord that would get him there. He reflects on this at the end of his life. He writes in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept 
the faith. Keeping the faith. Fighting the good fight. Finishing the race. That's what's required of us. To keep putting one foot in front of the other in pursuit of Jesus. Loving God and growing in our love for him, loving other people and growing in our love for others, telling other people about Jesus, striving to live like him, and none of that's exciting. It's rather ordinary. It's, it's, it may sometimes feel, feel boring. I was talking to somebody who was, who was like, you know, after all we've been, been through the past two years, let's make, let's make church boring again, you know? So, and, and it's true, and it's good. It's, it is. Because boring means rhythms, and boring means ordinary faithfulness, and ordinary faithfulness is what gets us there. The Christian life is not defined by big accomplishments. If you feel like a failure as a Christian, and you love Jesus, and you're, and you're, tr- you're trying to, to pursue him, but you feel like you're not really accomplishing, I haven't led many people to Jesus, I, I'm not very talented, I'm not very gifted. Look, you're doing it wrong. The kingdom is upside down. The Christian life is not defined by big accomplishments. It's defined by thousands of ordinary moments of faithfulness. Thousands of decisions throughout your life to love and serve other people. Thousands of decisions to resist temptation when it comes. No one sees that. No one knows about that. Thousands of decisions to witness to the kingdom. Ordinary faithfulness is neither easy nor flashy. And it makes sense because Paul calls it a fight. It's a struggle. He calls it a race. It will require discipline and self-control. That's neither fun nor easy. And it's not something that is just really noticeable. So you're not gonna gain a a massive following by being a really self-controlled and disciplined person in your private pursuit of Jesus. But that ordinary faithfulness is what will get you there. That is how the story of the church continues. And this perspective on the Christian life, living ordinary lives of faithfulness to God as a means of participating in the grand story of the church, sets us free from feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. And we are prone to be so paralyzed by those feelings. If we can't do something big for God, if what we do isn't seen and approved of and praised by other people, then we shouldn't and can't do anything at all. But notice how Luke concludes Paul's story. He wants us to remember more than anything else about Paul. Our lasting image of him on these last verses in this book is his ordinary faithfulness to the mission of God. House arrest. And he says, come, let's talk about Jesus. He's not out in the forum. He's in, he's in a rented home with a soldier on guard telling others about Jesus. His ordinary faithfulness. That's what we need. And one more thing. Um, we need immediate action. Immediate action. Do you want to be a part of the grand story of the church? I do. I want to be a part of this. I want to be in the line of all those that we've seen in the book of Acts. Then it's Nike ad time. Just do it. You with me? (laughs) Just do it, okay? You want to be a part of it? Okay, be a part of it then. Do it. 
The Lord has brought you in. He has given you his spirit. Now it's time to do something. And what we're tempted to do, we are tempted to wait for something big or new to happen to us so that we can finally start living for Jesus. Because ordinary faithfulness is not usually enough for us. And we're prone to let days and weeks and months and even years go by, waiting for life to smooth out just so, so that we can finally really get to work for the sake of the kingdom. And this, this idea, it comes in all kinds of forms. Something as small as like, well, hey, the spring is just really busy. We just got a lot going on. Or the fall is really busy. We just wait. We get, we get to the summer. In the summer, that's when, that's when I can really, you know, start focusing on, on living, living for Jesus. I just, I really can't do it right now. Um, you know, we, we may say as soon as life just slows down. It's just too, it's too hectic. Too hectic right now for me to really, you know, get on board with the mission of God. Um, uh, you know, if work would just stabilize a little bit. You know, if it would just get a little calmer then, you know, I'd be able to set that rhythm. I'd have a better rhythm of Bible study and prayer, but I can't really do it with my work schedule right now. Just, you know, it it doesn't work out. Maybe if we were in a better financial situation, we'd have less stress and we wouldn't, you know, we'd be able to do more. Um, But right now we, we really can't. And it is often the case that we assume that some big change that's out there to our current circumstances will somehow make a difference. And then we'll really get going. But in order to step into the story of the church that God is writing through the work of the Spirit in us, we have to stop looking ahead and stop looking behind and instead look and see what God has placed right in front of us. What can we do today with the time and with the circumstances that God has given us? And that's an important perspective to have. Do you think you're in the situation you're in outside of God's sovereign hand? Absolutely not. Nothing in the story of Acts, not prison, sickness, disasters, not these vicious rulers, not beatings or threats, not even dissension within the church, not mobs, not ignorance, not stubborn unbelief, nothing was able to stop or even hinder the kingdom of God in its advance. So do something right now, right where you are. Encourage someone. Tell your children about Jesus. Pass the story down. Talk with your friends about him. Care for other people. Start, pick up, pick back up the Bible reading plan, right? I know, I know. Pick it back up. Start a rhythm of prayer. You are not in the position in life you're in outside of the sovereign hand of God. What can you do today to put a spotlight on Jesus in your life? And how can God use your current circumstances, not your future plans, not your future desires, but your current circumstances to advance the gospel? What's required of you to continue to be a part of the ongoing story of the church, not impressiveness? You don't have to be impressive. 
Not extraordinary gifts. You don't have to be extraordinary, extraordinarily gifted. Not the most fruitful ministry. Like, man, every time that person talks about Jesus, somebody gets baptized. No. That's not what's required. Not the attention of others. You need to keep Christ at the center. You need to pursue ordinary faithfulness, and you need to do something now. Acts feels unfinished because the story of the church is unfinished. The mission continues. The gospel is still advancing. So let's get on board with the Spirit and His work to draw people to Him. Let's mirror the heart of God for those who are far from Him. And let's keep dreaming of ways to make Jesus known in our city and among the nations. What a glorious vision we have been invited to see. To see ourselves as a part of the ongoing story of the church. A story that did not end at the conclusion of Acts. And a story that will not end in our lifetime. So as far as we are able, by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, let's continue the church's story by telling others about Jesus. By investing in the next generation who will continue that work well beyond our time. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your word today. And as, as the book of Acts is concluded for us and as we move on to other parts of your word, I pray that it would by the power of your spirit have a lasting impact on our hearts that as we have seen example after example after example of ordinary Christians just like us being faithful to the mission that you have given to make disciples I pray that we would put that into practice in our own lives that we would see ourselves as disciple makers that we would bring the kingdom to bear through our words and actions right where we are right in the very circumstances that you have placed in our lives. Father, would you help us to glorify you in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and among the nations as we continue to tell the story of Jesus. And we ask and pray that this story of the church would continue through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.